people have never known a world without giraffe. We've we've evolved on the landscape as a species with giraffe since since our beginnings. And so giraffe have incredible uh, cultural value. You can go back to you know rock carvings and petroglyphs, thousands of years old, uh, and people have always been fascinated uh, with these animals. And 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 it's something core to, to our to our existence as a species. We've never known a world without giraffe. And so there's an incredible iconic status of these animals. Welcome to the Possibus. The Possibus is a podcast collaboration between the Smithsonian Earth Optimism and Pelicanus. The Smithsonian Conservation Commons Earth Optimism Initiative is changing the conservation narrative from one that focuses on problems and perils to highlighting impactful solutions. By celebrating what's working in conservation, they seek to inspire action and move global community from a sense of loss to one of hope and finding solutions to save our planet. Pelicanus is a conservation-based collective and continuous wonder of the healing and encouragement that is possible on this planet and the people making it happen. We are committed to telling these stories and demonstrating optimism through science. Now in this partnership, we spotlight conservationists working with a possibilistic attitude for solution-based efforts to tackle the world's critical environmental struggles. We're attempting to reframe the narrative around conservation to show that conservation successes are possible through changes in attitude and implementation of intentional change. In this episode, we talk with Arthur Meneza and Michael Brown of the Giraffe Conservation Foundation. Arthur is GCF's East Africa coordinator, where he manages research for three species of giraffe in East Africa. And Michael is a joint fellow with GCF in the Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute, where he works to advance GCF's mission of informing conservation initiatives with the most rigorous science available. GCF aims to raise awareness and support towards securing a future for giraffes and the conservation of their habitat in Africa, and more specifically to support conservation of viable and existing habitat for giraffes, identify key threats to giraffes in Africa, and develop innovative ways to mitigate them, as well as plan, develop, implement, and administer projects in cooperation with local communities and partner institutions, collaborate with local, national, and international partners on giraffe conservation efforts in the interests of giraffe conservation in African range states, and also raise funds for giraffe conservation and management throughout Africa. These two and GCF in general do so much. So let's get straight to our conversation with Arthur and Michael. Let's talk about some giraffes. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Arthur and Michael. Um, if you don't mind, uh, just to get started here, do you mind uh, introducing yourself and what you do for GCF? I guess we'll start with you, Arthur. Thanks, Austin. Uh, so my name is Arthur Muneza. I'm the East African coordinator for the Giraffe Conservation Foundation. And what that basically means is I work with the different partners in East Africa to uh, implement giraffe conservation initiatives. So these partners range from uh, uh, field researchers, uh, vets, uh, government partners, private stakeholders, just anybody who's interested in implementing giraffe conservation initiatives, uh, just to make sure that we are raising awareness and getting people excited about conserving giraffes. Uh, I'm Michael Brown. I'm a conservation science fellow with the Draft Conservation Foundation and the Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute. And so what I do with these organizations is try to uh, design, implement, um, execute, and communicate effective scientific studies for informing the conservation of giraffe throughout the range. Uh, and that involves um, bringing together uh, diverse perspectives on thinking and doing in the conservation sciences and trying to adapt those 
different techniques and different perspectives to the conditions we see on the ground throughout the various range states we work uh, to make sure that we're uh, using the best available science and trying to collect the best available information uh, to uh, understand the ecology of these systems, understand uh, the interactions with the people, and then uh, monitor uh, conservation initiatives so that we know what we're doing for giraffe conservation is actually effective. That's awesome. And so my my first real question that I I, I want to go to is, what is a giraffe conservation initiative? <laughs> uh, what does that actually mean? But uh, now that I'm thinking about it, I was like, we should probably describe the species so everyone understands what we're talking about. So if I'm correct, there's one type of giraffe, but there's nine subspecies? You've uh, you've just breached right off the bat um, a pretty, <laughs> a pretty pressing um, uh, topic in the giraffe conservation field at the moment. Mm. Uh, so giraffe taxonomy is is sort of in a, in a phase of, of evolution, if you'll forgive the, the double entendre there. Um, the uh, the historical perspective, at least the one that was adopted by uh, the IUCN Red List, which is sort of the, the conservation uh, um, assessment body, is that there was one species of giraffe with nine subspecies. But emerging data uh, using you know, a, a host of different techniques is sort of changing the perspectives that we have on giraffe taxonomy. And instead of one species with nine subspecies, there there may indeed be four separate species, each with, you know, various subspecies beneath them. So work with uh, the Draft Conservation Foundation, spearheaded by the Draft Conservation Foundation, using, you know, genomic level genetic studies has has shown that, oh my goodness, there might actually be four subspecies, which obviously would would change our perspectives on giraffe conservation. And instead of looking at as one species and doing assessment as a species level, if you break it down into four separate species, the narrative changes considerably for each one of these constituent species. Uh, so taxonomy in and of itself is, is a tricky business, trying to uh, sort of bin these very fluid, you know, diverse systems into, you know, discrete units that make sense to us as people is, is an inherently challenging thing to do. And it's not necessarily how nature operates, but it is useful and effective in conservation and, and helping to target and define different conservation initiatives, which we'll define later, hopefully. Um, so to, to make a short question, to, to provide a long answer to a short question, it's a little more complicated and there might actually be four species. Um, and the evidence is, is strongly suggesting that. That also makes it more difficult when you're trying to, like you said, trying to take that to the communities and say, hey, this is why, you know, draw the draft conservation initiatives. It's like, it's like if you're saying, hey, we know we have this, and people are like, wait, I thought there was one species of giraffe. And it just like it's so confusing for us. I mean, at least for me, it's already so confusing. Cause like I took genetics classes and I'm just like, I barely got through it. <laughs> and so if someone who has no idea about conservation, they get to this like genomics level uh you know concepts, how how do you how do you uh, try to like get around that? <laughs> well, uh I mean to answer that question, um, I think it's a very important one. Um, simply because if you look at how, uh, if you look at where these different giraffe uh, species are uh, distributed across Africa, uh, you'd see immediately that actually there's uh, they face different threat levels, and also uh, they they require different levels of conservation attention. And so, if we all think of you know the giraffe population of Africa as one species, then we 
we definitely not see the uniqueness of the the uniqueness and maybe also the urgency of the of the conservation attention that's needed. So if I can quickly give an example of, uh, for instance, the articulated giraffe, uh, it's, I mean, from the data that we have, we can now see that it's a unique species on its own. And this is a species that occurs mainly in uh, semi-arid areas and also requires, um, and also is uh, mainly occurs in uh, community lands. So this one requires, you know, uh, much broader levels of partnerships with the community members, with the governments, simply because of the, of the threat levels that it faces. Uh, it's now listed as uh, endangered at the species level. Uh, and that is really key to just show the urgency needed to protect it. And so uh, it, it sort of uh, gives the government and the stakeholders more impetus to get involved as opposed to thinking of it as a subspecies. Yeah, and to build on that topic, so if we look at the current assessment uh, of, of giraffe under IUCN as a species, as one species, they're categorized as vulnerable, right? But as Arthur just mentioned, when you break it down into these separate species uh, that have been identified by some of this, you know, these these studies since, um, it does, it, it, it adds some nuance to that. So Arthur gave a great example of the reticulated giraffe. Um, you can look at the, the northern giraffe that are critically endangered. Um, and right, so there's, right. yeah, giraffe are widespread throughout much, I mean, over 20 different countries. And obviously, if you try to cast a big narrative over the whole continent of Africa, it's going to muddle out some of the nuance in some of the conservation initiatives. So we can look at the reticulated giraffe and the northern giraffe and see, you know, endangered, critically endangered. But conversely, if you go down into southern Africa and look at some of these, these species, the southern species, some of the populations are actually increasing. And so the, the whole threat level and the whole population trajectory cast over an entire continent really doesn't tell the, the, the whole story of draft conservation. It doesn't offer the narrative and the nuance uh, necessary to effectively communicate the diversity of threats and the diversity of opportunities that we have for draft conservation throughout their entire range. So my next thought was like, we should probably take a step back and just kind of talk about giraffes and, you know, what they are. But I, I was thinking about that. I was like, I don't know if anyone really needs us to describe giraffes. <laughs> I feel like everyone knows what a giraffe is just because they are such a weird looking species. I mean, to, to not have a, a better word. Well, well, some of the things that people don't recognize about giraffes is, is how widely distributed they are and the diversity of habitats uh, that you can find them in. Uh, so I just mentioned giraffes are found in over 20 different countries. Uh, throughout Africa. And this ranges from some incredibly diverse landscapes. You've got these hyper-arid deserts in northwest Namibia that look almost like a Martian landscape. Uh, it's, it's incredible. And then you can go to some of these more mesic savannas on the, the banks of the Nile in Uganda, where you actually see giraffe kind of like weaving through woodland and trying to weave through, you know, the, these closed canopy acacia siberiana woodlands. And, and they run the gamut. So there's just a big arc uh, pretty much everything sub-Saharan around the Congo rainforest, um, giraffe historically were found. And now the populations are a bit more patchy, um, just given the increasing development. But you still find giraffe in an incredible diversity of landscapes. And they do surprisingly well in, in this remarkable, you know, Martian to, to woodland type of landscape. And so it's a really, really cool system to study because they are so large and you think they'd be highly specialized. But they live in these incredibly diverse landscapes uh, and they're just amazing creatures. Arthur, if if you uh, if, as the East Africa coordinator, that sounds like a logistical nightmare to me. <laughs> how, how do you conserve giraffes in twenty different countries? 
that all have different habitats. And so I guess we could start with like, you know, my original question was, what is what does a giraffe conservation initiative look like? Uh, I mean, one thing that we can also add into that whole uh, gumbo pot of uh, uh, of issues that we face here is that each African country has its own system of management. Uh, so I'll focus on East Africa just to show how they are different uh how different systems work and how we come in. Uh, I mean, which is super exciting as well. I mean, uh, I love my job. Uh, I mean, as this African coordinator, I get to work with uh, different stakeholders. So what we call an initiative, uh, at least within GCF, is we try to see uh, within these different populations across East Africa, what do we want to do and who can we work with? So at GCF, uh, I mean, we consider ourselves a small NGO, but with a big footprint. And the best way to do that is to identify the right partner. So we start off by looking at, for instance, uh, for instance, in Eastern Africa, most wildlife population, uh, I mean, most conservation areas are managed by governments. So you have to start working with the governments. And so what do governments need? Uh, in some instances, we work with government institutions, maybe to equip rangers, or maybe we work with governments to identify uh, high level strategic frameworks that identify priorities for giraffe conservation. And so this is key uh, for essentially getting people together to uh, to share ideas, to share knowledge, and essentially uh, chart a, a way forward for giraffe conservation. Uh, one of the key successes that we've had is uh, working with governments and uh, other stakeholders to develop uh, national strategies for giraffe conservation. Uh, this has been really successful in Niger. Uh, so Niger is a country in uh, West Africa. Uh, it's one of the, if you look at the GDP, it's ranked as one of the poorest countries in Africa, but also one of the most uh, forward-thinking countries in terms of giraffe conservation. Uh, they have the last West African giraffe population uh, in the world. Uh, there are none in zoos. Uh, and this population in the last 30 years has been extinct in at least five West African countries. I could be wrong, but I think that's the number. Uh, so in the last three, uh, in the last 30 years. And so they've managed to conserve the last West African giraffe population uh, by bringing in communities and also NGOs uh, to essentially uh, grow the population in human villages. So this is a population that uh, until maybe uh, two years ago didn't occur in a protected area. So it was protected by communities, but the government came in and uh, worked with us and also different communities and NGOs uh, to protect the population. And since then it has grown. And uh, we worked with the government there uh, two years ago to translocate some individuals to now their, I would say, premier national park, an area called Gadabeji. And just expanding the range uh, of this population was really, really something uh, big because for some of the government officials and also for some of the vets, it was their first time ever translocating animals. And so that's something that we would call an initiative where it builds up from a national strategy, uh, brings together different stakeholders to implement actions uh, for protecting giraffe. And so you'd find that these different actions are linked in a way where you have community engagement, you have uh, welfare issues, and you have expanding the range of animals which bring into ecology. And so the, it, it's really this uh, sort of big machine that needs a lot of people uh, putting in ideas and putting in time and resources to to make it to make a successful program for giraffe conservation. And so at the core of it all, uh, to bring everything together, that's really the key um, goal of GCF to essentially uh, secure sustainable uh, 
populations, uh, well, to secure a sustainable future for giraffe populations uh, in the wild? You know, you bring in up partnerships, I think is really interesting because it's something that we talk about uh, a lot in all of our podcasts that we've done is it's just a theme that just kind of goes through every single, every single topic we've talked about is partnerships and how uh, organizations come together because it, it, we, I, I think I find, I find it so interesting because one of the ideas of this, uh, this organization we have is to show that there's people the good news is that there's people like you guys doing this. And then when you unpack that, hey, these, there's these people that are like literally dedicating their lives to save condors, giraffes, climate change research, intertidal, whatever it is. And then once you like open that up, you start to see like, oh, they have 10 partners on this project. And that partner has 10 partners on a different project. And it's just like this weird like web around the world. And um it, it's just so incredible. And it's just, that's what gives me hope. It's like, oh, there's so many people working on this. <laughs> I mean, sure. Uh, partnerships are really key to uh, getting conservation right, I'd say that. Um, I mean, so here, for instance, in Kenya, I can't do any conservation re- research work without involving the Kenya Wildlife Service. Uh, they cover the government-managed conservation areas. And so if I want to go beyond that, then I'd need to work with the county governments as well. So for instance, we've had uh, instances where we'd have to, where we've had to tag giraffe in uh, say Samburu uh, National Reserve. This is a county government managed conservation area. So you need to then build uh, partnerships and networks and relationships with the people on the ground to do such work. Uh, one of our big initiative uh, is known as uh, uh, Wetu, And this is a program that involves uh, Sorry, just uh, so Twiga is Swahili for giraffe. Uh, Wetu is our, so our giraffe. That's the initiative, uh, Twiga Wetu. And this is a community driven uh, initiative where we work with community members to collect data on giraffe. Uh, it might be on uh, environmental education, or it might be just basically monitoring giraffes, seeing where they are, and reporting cases of mortality such cases. And that project, uh, we got that project off the ground with the San Diego Wildlife Alliance, uh, who uh, hired community scouts uh, or uh, uh, community guards uh, in Swahili, they are known as Trigawalinzi, to basically monitor the giraffe in northern Kenya. And that's really key because these areas, as I mentioned earlier, are areas where giraffe occur in community lands. And so you need a community presence, somebody from within that area to work with the people there to monitor giraffes, see where they are, uh, just basically do the uh, basic science that we can use and then to extract data to uh, have a good understanding of of the ecology of these different populations. uh, the other one, uh, we also have uh, initiatives where we work with different vets, uh, might be vets uh, that are, you know, private vets or maybe government vets uh, to monitor uh, giraffe health or study giraffe skin disease, which is also another interesting topic. Uh, and so that just highlights, you know, the wide range of partners that, you know, I've worked with. Uh, and maybe Michael has different partners that he's worked with that he would like to highlight. Yeah, thanks. The root of, of conservation is is collaboration and developing trust and relationships, because at the end of the day, a lot of the conservation solutions to some of these problems that we identified are people driven and um, developing these networks of partners, bring together diverse perspectives and diverse ways of acting. Uh, and that's crucial for the success of any initiative. And so developing this trust with the relationship with people on the ground, developing value with organizations like the Kenya Wildlife Service or Uganda Wildlife Authority uh, is really important because you want to you want to show that your presence is having an impact. And that really strengthens the relationship 
and the resolve and the ability to collaborate and move forward towards even more ambitious projects. Uh, on some of the science side, these collaborations are obviously really, really important. Uh, no one person is an expert in any in, in all techniques. And so like the, the taxonomy study, for, for instance, um, relying on you know, lab partners in Sankenberg in Germany uh, for some of the movement ecology studies. We've, we've uh, developed this ambitious and groundbreaking continental scale study of giraffe movement. And so partnering with a number of different academic institutions, uh, certainly the Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute being sort of a, a marquee uh, collaborator in this, in this program. Um, just to bring together diverse technical perspectives as well. Arthur mentioned the veterinary perspective. Um, so bringing together, you know, premier vets from across Africa uh, to work together to make sure that what we're doing uh, is bringing the best available technical skills, uh, the best available knowledge, uh, and putting it in the hands of the people uh, who, who need it the most on the ground. And so really the core of that is, is developing these strong networks and these strong relationships. Yeah, and one of the ideas that we kind of um, talk about a lot is how conservation, there's like, you know, you can go top down, government, big agencies come and say, here's how you save giraffes. And then you have the, you know, the lowest, whatever you want to call it, level, people coming up and say, hey, we're trying to save giraffes, <laughs> you know. And so somewhere meeting in the middle, um, and I, I, obviously both can work, but I feel like it, nothing gets done without the local communities. So you kind of mentioned the, the I don't know, my pronunciation is going to be t terrible, I'm sure, but the Twigo Wetu um, program. Uh, do you mind unpacking either that program or just kind of some of your community-based programs in general and just kind of like, I guess, share in the importance of getting the people on the ground that are there all the time involved in this, these kinds of initiatives? Sure. Uh, maybe let me start with, uh, uh, with the Twigo Wetu initiative. Um, I mean, so this is a initiative where we, we usually start by working with community representatives, because in most cases, you just can't show up and just say, oh, you know, we're interested in saving giraffes, you know, how do you go about it? You no, know, you need to, you know, obviously you need to see that uh, there is that there is that interest and that there is importantly buy-in from the community to save, uh, to save giraffe. Uh, and we've been lucky that in, you know, in some of these communities, actually, you know, giraffes are perceived positively, if I can put it like that. You know, they're not, they're not harmful, uh, they're not destructive, and so people have that interest in protecting giraffes. And so one of the ways that we use to get the buy-in from people is to, you know, provide uh, essentially uh, field support and also provide uh, like uh, up-to-date information that people can use to then uh, raise awareness on giraffe conservation initiatives. And so the Trigger Way to Initiative is essentially a way of getting uh, local communities involved at, uh, in doing field work, in essentially assessing where giraffes are, documenting mortalities, uh, assessing threat levels, because these are simply the data that we do not have to then share with other stakeholders to make management decisions. And so how this helps to sort of uh, feed into the either the bottom-up approach or starting with the field people, uh, we have... Uh, we have, uh, maybe I can say Kenya at least, and also I'm pretty sure this also happens in Uganda. There are some countries that have built in what they call range committee meetings within their national strategies. So what these meetings do, they bring together government uh, representatives and also maybe private researchers or community representatives 
to stakeholder meetings where these issues are discussed and then agreed upon by you know all these different stakeholders that have different views and maybe different priorities and so they all agree on which actions which conservation actions should be prioritized and then we as GCF we come in and either uh, we either seek support, uh, we seek uh, equipment support, or we provide technical support to get these conservation actions implemented. Because we've then, you know, we've sort of in a way facilitated all these people to come together and agree that this is what's needed to save giraffes. So it's not necessarily our ideas, but it's these are ideas that are agreed upon by different stakeholders and people who have different experiences who then say, yes, in my area, this is happening and I need the government to recognize that this is happening. And then the government representative also comes in and say, oh yeah, I'm aware that this is happening or maybe I wasn't aware that this is happening, but now that you've brought it to my attention, maybe these other people can help. And, you know, we all have everybody chiming in and we see what, what approaches have worked where, because within our network, we are bringing in experience from other countries that we can share with different people, you know, in different communities and that helps. Um, I've had an experience where someone in Northern Kenya came and, you know, vented out his frustrations about the lack of fuel, the lack of, you know, equipment support. He didn't even know that there was a Kenya national strategy. And he just took that document and took it to the county government to look for financial support to, you know, then get the county government involved. And that is something that gets us excited because we show that such meetings and these documents are, you know, really useful and powerful tools for getting people involved in conservation. Yeah, that's such an important point to acknowledge is, is that these these strategies and these projects are not uh, are not imposed. It's it's a constant feedback. It's a dialogue. And, and Arthur described really well uh, some of the processes that they go through from sort of a higher level a natural conservation strategy uh, and just this constant interaction with stakeholders and this feedback to make sure that all of these different uh, sources of knowledge, all these different perspectives uh, are brought to bear on some of these conservation initiatives. And then it's not, it's not exclusively an outsider perspective and that the, this is this feedback and this dialogue leading to effective uh, conservation strategy. I read, uh, I think on your guys' website, there was, uh, there is thought to be about 120,000 giraffe left in Africa roughly. Um, yep. But how did that happen? Like, what are, what are the main stressors? You know, is it habitat loss? Is it, you know, weird predation? Um, and it may be there's 35 different things. <laughs> so um, I guess, Michael, if you want to kind of just jump into that. Yeah. So kind of one of the, the standard ubiquitous threats, not just for giraffe, but for a lot of wildlife uh, in Africa and, and, and indeed throughout the world is, is habitat loss and fragmentation. Right. And, and that's you know, uh, uh, unavoidable in a lot of these landscapes as you see increased development uh, and increased pressure for some of the resources in this, uh, in these landscapes. Um, there's ultimately less space, uh, less resources for giraffe in those same landscapes. And so trying to understand the ecological requirements for these giraffes, trying to understand um, what how people are using the landscapes and how people are interacting with these giraffe uh, is really uh, at the foundation of of how we try to envision coexistence in these different landscapes. And this is a, this is sort of a trickier threat in that it's, it's hard to pinpoint. There's no villain. It's, it's, it's just sort of a natural byproduct of development. Uh, and, you know, different people have different land uses and different needs for different resources. Um, but giraffe are also living on these landscapes too. 
So figuring out key resources for giraffe and how they utilize these landscapes is something that's really important for defining pathways to coexistence. And one of the key studies we have for developing those understandings is what we've called the Twiga Tracker Initiative. And so we've developed this continental scale giraffe tracking study. We've affixed GPS units to giraffe. We have over 230 giraffe tracked across over uh, nine different countries now, all four species uh, on these key landscapes. And so using this GPS technology, using remote sensing and satellite imagery, we can hone in on key giraffe habitat features and linkages between these features so that we can identify and define corridors to protect and habitat features that are especially critical for giraffe and maybe figure out ways to conserve those key areas and those key corridors um, in these increasingly developed landscapes. There's so many different ways I could go because <laughs> you guys do so much. Look at your website. I was like, all right, we're not going to talk about all this. We're going to talk about maybe 10% of what you guys actually do. Uh, but, you know, just try to like touch on the, the highlights. But, okay, so habitat loss and habitat fragmentation are the initiatives that GCF puts forward. Are those to kind of curtail habitat loss and fragmentation or are there uh, actual restoration projects going in place? Is this the, the community projects we're talking about? Like, hey, try to like, you know, let's all appreciate giraffes and stop destroying their habitat or are there actual like on the ground, like, hey, let's restore this habitat? Trying to identify where giraffe historically are. This is another interesting element in conservation is understanding historical baselines and understanding the dynamic nature of some of these ecosystems in which we're working. And so we can look at sort of giraffe distribution and abundance over the span of, you know, three decades or so. But that's really only a very brief snapshot of, you know, the greater picture of giraffe evolution and giraffe, um, um, you know, distribution and abundance. And so we can try to track this back as far back as we have records, but it gets a little bit muddier. But trying to understand where giraffe were, where giraffe can be, where giraffe are, and where they should be, which is an inherently value-laden distinction. Um, but one of the ways of, of, of maybe going about this is something that Arthur had mentioned uh, in, in the Niger case, uh, some of the translocations to reestablish giraffe populations in areas that historically held them. So uh, we can use Uganda as an example there. So starting off with some key ecological studies, uh, we went into Uganda and we essentially created a, a database of all the giraffe in Uganda. So giraffe have unique spot patterns and you can tell them apart as individuals as easily as like reading a name tag or a barcode. And so uh, we can go into these key populations and essentially uh, track the every single individual in the country. And so if we do that over a period of time, we can look at population trajectory rates in these key populations. And so when we started working in Uganda back in 2013, there were two key populations of giraffe, uh, one in Murchison Falls National Park and one in Kadepo Valley National Park. And both of these populations had a really incredible uh, histories as well. So back in the late 1980s, Murchison Falls National Park giraffe population was less than 100 individuals. And since then, conservation initiatives and the cessation of political conflict has led to this increase where there's now 1,500 from less than 100 individuals. Kadepo Valley National Park saw a very similar uh, increase where in the mid-1990s, there were thought to be maybe three giraffes remaining in a population that was once one of U Uganda's largest populations. And we've charted this increase in, in, in giraffe population there. So now we suspect there's somewhere north of 70 giraffes. And so 
using this knowledge of these population trajectories, taking this back to a stakeholder engagement meeting and where we brought in different representatives from all over the country, uh, you know, different perspectives, different key stakeholders, developed this national conservation strategy that Arthur mentioned. And one of the key outcomes of this strategy was to try to reestablish populations in areas where we knew there were giraffe in the past, um, but for, you know, political unrest and illegal, illegal hunting, they were extirpated from those regions. So when we started our work in Uganda in 2013, there were two populations. Now, through key partnerships with the Uganda Wildlife Authority and some science-driven conservation translocations, there's populations in three new places in Uganda. So there's five key populations, all of which are either stable or growing. So it's all rooted in you know, uh, conservation science, stakeholder engagement, strategic collaborations and planning, and bringing in experts from across the world to make sure that we can successfully uh, pull off some of these conservation you know, in initiatives, so these pretty ambitious uh, habitat observations. And uh, to just add on to the examples that Michael uh, was giving, uh, I mean, it's really important to just see how everything is linked. Uh, so some of the rewilding or maybe the reintroduction projects that took place only happened after, you know, the government committed to restoring habitats in some of these areas. So some of these areas maybe were either degraded or maybe had been, uh, you know, just rendered uh, unsuitable for giraffe. Uh, but then once stakeholders agreed that, you know, reintroduction of giraffe in these areas where they historically, you know, were found is a key conservation action for giraffe survival, then the government commits to, you know, taking it up and, uh, you know, restoring the habitat or maybe ensuring that the habitat is secure and protected from poachers. And that has happened in Uganda, you know, to have all these different populations uh, that have now been, you know, uh, reintroduced from the Merchant Falls uh, uh, population. And, you know, all of this is work that is, you know, agreed upon by different stakeholders. You know, we we, we always have, you know, several meetings, the Uganda Wildlife Authority and also the different stakeholders that come in and work, with, you know, together to make this possible. So it is really a bit of everything to make conservation work. So we know that when we bring giraffe back to these landscapes where they exist, there's these incredible ecological relationships uh, but one of the cool things that we've seen is sort of the cultural significance in giraffe and some of the communities around there. So again, if we use Uganda as an example, uh, one of the places that we recently translocated giraffe, reintroduced them, is this place called Pionube Wildlife Reserve. Uh, and this is an area that held giraffe. It was one of Uganda's largest populations up until 1996, which is relatively recent. So there's people there now who remember seeing giraffe in those landscapes not too long ago. And giraffe in those areas for some of those communities held incredible significant cultural value, sort of a totem animal for some of these communities. So when giraffe were brought back in, the community actually put together, there were signs welcoming giraffe back to the landscape. There was sort of a welcoming committee. There was a dance for these giraffe. And so in, in addition to all the incredible ecological interactions that giraffes having these mega browsers on this landscape can have for this community there, it's also incredibly valuable for the communities. Uh, for the, you know, cultural value and then potentially economic value as, you know, tourism revenue can also increase for having these incredibly charismatic animals on this landscape. So there's real value um, to the people in those areas for having these, these animals back in these landscapes as well. And that's, that's one, of the, one of the strong motivators and one of the, the really powerful incentives for us in working in these places is seeing success stories like that.
I didn't even think about how if you reestablish giraffe, how the people that have, you know, grown up for literally the beginning of the species <laughs> having these uh, this other incredibly impressive and weird animal to look at, like how how impactful that is for their, their culture. Um, I don't even know if I have a question there, but if, you, if Arthur, if you have anything else to add, or even, my, yeah, Michael, if you have something else to add as well. People have never known a world without giraffe. We've, we've evolved on the landscape as a species with giraffe since, since our beginnings. And so giraffe have incredible uh, cultural value. You can go back to, you know, rock carvings and petroglyphs, thousands of years old. Uh, and people have always been fascinated uh, with these animals and, and, and it's something core to, to our, to our existence as a species. We've never known a world without giraffe. And so there's an incredible iconic status of these animals. Um, I wanted, I wanted to give another example of, of sort of the value uh, of, of incorporating local communities throughout Africa. A lot of, um, a lot of local folks actually don't get to experience some of these landscapes in which giraffe inhabit um, some of the, the, the conservation areas and national parks have fees and costs associated with them. And so oftentimes a lot of the people who live in communities adjacent to these protected areas don't necessarily have the opportunity to experience them in the same way that some of the you know, international tourists might. So for instance, in one of these um, conservation translocations, we're taking giraffe, uh, which is essentially a, a truck with an open top and you can see their, their heads driving out. And so we're driving through these villages and, and I remember one of the most heartwarming parts of this whole operation, at least for me, we're driving through this one town in northern Uganda, Gulu, slowly navigating these, these city streets. And there's a, a young girl uh, on the side of the road and she's waving at the giraffe. And as we slowly go by, she runs inside her house and she pulls out a, a giraffe toy and waves it at the giraffe as they go by. And so it was a very brief moment in being able to sort of... Um, show these animals or, or, or give these folks an opportunity to experience these animals. But there's other ways you can go about doing it. And that's one of the things that GCF does well, as, as well as these environmental education programs and trying to engage with, with local students and local youth uh, to provide an opportunity to see some of these animals in the wild. Because we can talk about giraffe all we want and we can cite figures and we can show pretty pictures. But really, I think one of the most powerful incentives for conserving them and, and making you fall in love with them is to see them and experience them in the wild and be able to share space with these incredible animals. I mean, there's nothing, nothing like the first time you see a giraffe in the wild. It, it's truly a powerful and moving experience. And if we really want to engender an appreciation and fascination with the conservation of these animals, providing those opportunities, especially to people who live alongside them, uh, is something that's really valuable. Yeah. And, uh, to maybe build on Michael's first statement, uh, I mean, it's really hard to imagine uh, a world without giraffes. Uh, you know, we tend to think of giraffes as, you know, African icons, but they're really, you know, global icons. Because uh, if you look at just the number of institutions of zoos or maybe, you know, vendors that use giraffe to, ma to market their products, it's really astounding. Uh, and there's actually a study that came out about three years ago and that showed that giraffe are actually considered among the you know, top 10 charismatic species globally. Uh, if you look at uh, animals that are used to market products that are considered uh, charismatic, that are used in movies, you know, described, you know, in today's world, you know, giraffe are loved globally. And, you know, the, the sad thing with that is that, you know, even though they are among these top 10 most charismatic animals, they are also probably 
you know, among the least studied species that are considered charismatic. And so that's what we are also trying to do by bringing all these people together and also by just driving, you know, by, you know, taking the lead on some of these things is to show people that, you know, the animals that people live with here in Africa that maybe, you know, that they think that nobody is trying to do something about, these are animals that are, that are loved globally and that we are trying to, you know, bring people together to try and, you know, bring resources and, you know, bring more attention to protecting, you know, giraffes wherever they are. And so for us, that's a major driving force. And, you know, we definitely want to be, you know, successful in, you know, making sure that these partnerships work uh, for the benefit of giraffes and also for the benefit of the people that live with these uh, different populations. Yeah, again, that's, that's, that's so interesting to me because, you know, when, when we, you know, started setting this up, I was like, all right, giraffes are cool. I like giraffes, you know, everyone likes giraffes. But then, you know, just listen, like having this conversation, I'm realizing that like, you know, giraffes are in our DNA because, you know, the, as a species, we all came from this one area and giraffes are, are very nearby. So they've been in, in our psyche, I guess, for such a long time. And because I've always wondered, like, what is it that makes me what is it they why are you so interested in, in giraffes it's like well is it just because they're tall is it because they look cool it's like well it's probably that you know obviously um but there's also probably an aspect of it that it's it's ingrained into our our minds to to you know respect them to love them to you know you know whatever the word you want to use um and i just find that I, I just find that so interesting because like i remember reading somewhere that like uh, the, you know, the great apes, they're all like afraid of the same things. Like, like I remember them uh, watching some video where they like uh, shook a, a hose and made it look like a snake and all the apes just ran away, you know, and, and people like, you know, most people, I should say, are kind of inherently afraid of snakes. And they kind of connect those two. And that's like heights and the dark or something that we were all kind of like inherently afraid of. And just thinking of that same mindset of like how we are, uh, we all kind of love giraffes. And it's like, it's got to be at least partly that, you know. <laughs> There was a, a very uh, a powerful moment in, in visiting some of these uh, rock carvings, for instance, there's some in Teufelfontein in Namibia, uh, where you go up to these rocks that were carved you know, thousands of years ago. Uh, and it's very clear that these folks had a fascination with giraffe and that this fascination with giraffe, you know, connects me and, and sort of my contemporaries with these people who were in the same landscape thousands of years ago sort of bound across time by this fascination for this incredibly unique animal and, and this beautiful, these beautiful systems in which they inhabit. It is, it's, uh, it's a, a cool unifying love um, and figuring out ways to, to, to harness that and to translate that into action, at least now to help conserve them is something that, uh, that we're, you know, working on doing. You know, people in our field, they, they, especially in the education side, they talk about connecting with nature and I've never really know what that meant. <laughs> you know, it's kind of hard to define. You know, I like to, I go for hikes or mountain bike riding. Like, oh, pretty view. I feel good. I'm outside. But you know, that's the best example I can think of, at least right now, is is that where you see like like you said a, a cave drawing, a rock drawing that connected you to someone, and it, that that's a true connection with nature. Where you're, you know, that's basically all conservation. Where you know you're you know, you're coming up with names for plants that are using Latin. And it's just like this weird complex system that we have to, you know, set everything up to where it makes sense to us. But ultimately you're still having that same, you know, 
visceral connection with another species that our, our species has for thousands of years. And that's just so cool. And who wouldn't love giraffes? You know, if you look at them, they're, you know, weird looking animal, but in a good way, uh, you know, I mean, with the, with the long neck and long legs, you know, with this, you know, weird shape and interesting patterns that is also so beautiful. Uh, you know, many people love their eyelashes. I don't know for what reason, but still, you know, really, really beautiful. And with the dark purplish tongue, I mean, there's just quite a lot to love about giraffe, especially when you see them up close in the wild, you know, whatever they do just looks a bit off, like this isn't normal, but in a good way, it's just really interesting that it pulls you in. Like if you look at the graceful walk of giraffe, you know, if you look at their, you know, their running and the neck swing, it's just something that pulls you in when it comes to giraffe. Even just their silhouette, if you're looking at them from afar, they're really, really interesting and beautiful animals that, they just have a way of pulling you in and connecting with nature because for the most part, I mean, there are those animals that you look at and they don't have a menacing feature and giraffes have that for me at least. And so that is something that, you know, helps me to connect with them. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Taylor and I, we joke a lot about how ultimately when it comes down to it, we're just, we're still five-year-olds <laughs> and, you know, we, we still, we still love to like connect with them. For me, like I got, I did my graduate studies in, in raptors because it's just, for me, everything, anything that can just drop out of the sky and kill something with its face is just so cool. But you said something that I, I know I caught Austin uh, being in wonder and awe when you said it. And it, it hit me the same way when you said people have never known a world without a giraffe. I think that opens up the question or, or the idea about biodiversity conservation in general. We don't know a world without a clouded leopard. We don't know a world without um, the vaquita. Um, and it, it does, it opens up these, these questions of, you know, why are we working on this? And it's not to get too philosophical um, and not to get too, maybe even metaphysical, but it is, it's that capacity of, our world becomes infinitely less rich if we don't, if we don't work on these things. Trying to figure out why we do the things we do. Um, if it's an act of um, selfishness or selflessness uh, is something that I, I sometimes reflect on in conservation. What, uh, what are the motivations and why are we doing these things? And ultimately what I've come down to, at least for my, my the way I personally sort of reconcile these ideas um, is conservation is an inherently value-laden field. Uh, and we're trying to work to preserve the systems that we value. And we value, different people value different systems for different reasons. And so our job as conservationists is to try to identify those values um, and, and act upon them. So I had to reflect early on, at least in my career, on to what conservation actually meant for me and coming up with an operational definition for conservation um, because it is such an, a nebulous term and it is so inherently value-laden. And so the, the, the definition I came with is the um, translation of values across key stakeholders to enact meaningful positive change on key ecological touch points. And so you have the social component, you have the ecological component, and you have the value component and ultimately, what we're deciding as peoples, as sort of the, the, the holders of power in this ecological relationship, at least uh, as we may vainly uh, consider ourselves to be, is what we want to conserve and why we want to conserve it. And those 
Um, science can't necessarily tell you those answers. Science can help guide solutions, uh, but that's on us to determine the values that we want to you know, conserve and, and represent in the future. I like that. Uh, and, you know, I'd like to build on that, you know, using uh, the example of the Nubian giraffe uh, found in Kenya uh, and Uganda. And, you know, it makes for good banter, uh, especially if you consider, you know, there, there are some less used names for the Nubian giraffe. Uh, so if you go to Uganda, they call it the Ugandan giraffe. You know, they have that connection and link to it. You know, and they want to conserve it because it's their, you know, it's a national pride for them. You know, we always argue about percentages. You know, they said, oh, they have, you know, 80% of the world's, you know, Nubian giraffe, Ugandan giraffe. So they, they claim it and they have, you know, it's in their, you know, values to protect this animal. And that's really good to see. You come to the Kenyan side, you know, yes, it's the Nubian giraffe. They also want to call it, you know, the Baringo giraffe because that's the historical range in Kenya, and they want to create that link of having this population to that specific area in Kenya. And so it is important to recognize these values and just have, you know, build that connection. Uh, and that becomes even more pronounced when you go to Tanzania, where giraffe are the national animal. And there is, you know, even much bigger pride there in conserving, you know, giraffe, just making sure that they can't have a world, <laughs> well, they can't have Tanzania without giraffe. I think if that ever happens, there will be, heads will roll. So it's, <laughs> but hopefully not uh, literally, but, you know, that's something that, you know, people have this link that when they think of, you know, giraffe or when they think of wildlife, there's definitely something that connects them to certain realities. And, you know, it's good to see all this happening for sure everything that you're saying, it's a very, very value laden field. Um, it, it has more than just the utilitarian component of, uh, Hey, it's a, it's a mega browser. <laughs> so everyone benefits. Great. Um, and, and I love your definition as well, Michael. Um, it, it gets me to one of my thoughts that I've had is that we get to do this work. We get to as conservationists save giraffes or, you know, whatever species, and I think there's something very important to, in that as, as, you know, humankind, we, we get to do this work, um, which is, you know, you get, you get to wake up every day and I get to work on giraffes. That's a very special thing. I don't think I had a question. I think I was just fanboying out. You know, it's an incredibly privileged position. It certainly is. Uh, and that, that privilege comes, I mean, with a host of responsibilities. Um, we get to, to work with these animals. We get to work with the communities alongside them and making sure that we figure out ways to incorporate all of these values and, and, and try our best to understand and, and develop equitable solutions uh, is a responsibility we take really, really seriously. Um, we mentioned it from our perspective, but there's also the giraffe's perspective as well. And sort of there, I mean, and that's a, a commonly uh, used conservation argument as well, is sort of this, this inherent right to existence for giraffe. Um, and, and that's something we also want to acknowledge as well. Um, you know, we are lucky, actually, uh, Michael and I, because we are working with a species that, you know, compared to other uh, charismatic species, you know, there's still a lot to learn about giraffe. You know, if you look at lion, elephant, uh, they've been studied for, you know, continuously, I'd say, you know, for more than 60, 70 years, where you've had these long-term studies that have, generated a lot of data on these animals. And so we know quite a lot about them. But when it comes to giraffe, I mean, 
yeah, we still have a long way to go. And, you know, as scientists, that just keeps our, you know, our brains turning, like what can we look at? What can we reasonably do with the resources that we have? Because, you know, when I started my job, one of the first questions that we had to dig into was, you know, how many giraffes in Kenya are there and where are they? You know, yes, there was some data available at the time, but with our resources, we could enrich those data and we could work with the governments to better protect them. And if you think about it, you know, so for me, that this was in 2016. And if you think compared to other animals, you know, that's a, you know, it's, we are starting late, but it also gives us better tools in terms of science and technology to better answer these questions. And so for me, that that's always gets us excited because, you know, there's a lot to learn. And so we, we, we definitely have a lot of work to do. We're calling this series the the possibilists. Uh, it's, we base it off of the uh, Michael Soule quote. With you know, the, to sum it up, it says you know, if someone asks if I'm optimistic or pessimistic, I say I'm possibilistic. It's kind of a, a nebulous thing that we're trying to explore by doing this. Uh, and so, I guess when it comes to your experiences, your work, uh, giraffes in general, um, and you kind of already mentioned a little bit about how there is a way forward, but uh, what does that concept mean to you? Uh, and that could be from, you know, the initiatives that you guys have put into place or, uh, you know, bigger picture ideas about the future of uh, the conservation of the, the spe- these species. Um, so what that means to us is, you know, we want to be at the forefront of, you know, using science to help protect these, uh, <clears throat> to protect, protect giraffes. Um, I mean, we've, we, we always, you know, because we are, you know, we have a big footprint, we also, you know, we try to accommodate as many, you know, possible ideas that we can use to help inform giraffe conservation. You know, this is something that that's important to us in that we recognize that there's a lot of work to be done. And so we need to, you know, think creatively about implementing some of these solutions simply because, you know, we can't give up, you know, that's not an option. Uh, so we definitely, you know, reach out and branch out and try to find the right partners, you know, to look at, you know, what are the possibilities? What can we do? Uh, and a cool example that I can give is, you know, as GCF, we've been at the forefront of, you know, using satellite technology of tracking, you know, where giraffe are, where they go and just determining home range. Because, you know, if we are to save giraffe, if you are thinking long-term, just understanding, you know, space use is something that is really, really key. If you look at the, you know, uh, human population trends, if you look at how the, you know, landscapes are becoming more and more fragmented, you know, we work with different partners to look at what are the solutions, you know, in on the satellite technology tracking side that we can use to identify these core ranges, to identify what are, you know, hotspots for poaching, that type of thing. And, you know, there are just so many possibilities. And so it's up to us to then, you know, be the driving force for that. And it's up to us to try and, you know, just keep going. I think that's the best way I can put it. You know, it's still a lot of work to do and there's there, there are way forwards. We, we have to, you know, uh, think creatively about how to implement those. We're also at a very unique moment in giraffe conservation. Uh, and I know a theme of this podcast is optimism, uh, but that's a real possibility for giraffe now. It's, it's not a narrative in which these animals are too far gone where they're beyond saving. Um, there are real actionable solutions that we can use science and local collaborations to implement. And we're doing that now. And we're seeing some incredible growth in populations in some of these landscapes 
in both you know the number of populations across these landscapes and the abundance within each of these populations. So there are ways forward and, and there's a reason to be hopeful. And we're at a very unique moment where if we act now, we can have some really positive changes on, on some of these key populations to make sure that this charismatic animal is available uh, and valuable and whatever that means to you or to them uh, in these landscapes for, for generations to come. Arthur and Michael, Thank you so much for, for joining us and uh, talking about the GCF and all the work you guys have done. It's truly impressive what you guys have been able to accomplish and the direction you guys are headed as an organization uh, and individually. It's, it's uh, inspiring and uh, we're so thankful that you guys are doing what you're doing. If you guys don't mind, uh, share where we, uh, our listeners and everyone can find uh, GCF online, social media, or however uh, you guys want to connect with you. Sure. Uh, thanks, Austin. Uh, well, you can uh, find uh, Giraffe Conservation Foundation on uh, www.giraffeconservation.org. Uh, that's our website where you can find uh, lots and lots of information on giraffes, uh, lots of our reports on the fieldwork that we do, uh, beautiful giraffe photos and also giraffe merch. So go ahead, uh, check out our website. It's really interesting. Uh, we have also the Giraffe Resource Center, where if you are interested in giraffe literature, just want to see what's been published on giraffe, look up Giraffe Resource Center and you can uh, just learn more about giraffe and see what we are doing. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, uh, Giraffe Conservation Foundation, uh, where we share all the updates, tidbits, opportunities on, you know, volunteering. Well, maybe post-COVID, uh, but for now, you know, before we used to share opportunities there. Uh, every Friday, we post really cool, beautiful photos of giraffes. You can also share your photos there. <laughs> maybe we can share it on fri on every Friday. Uh, we have our Instagram page, at Giraffe Conservation. Uh, we have our Twitter page, at uh, save underscore giraffe. Uh, I don't know what else I'm forgetting, but yeah, just look up Giraffe Conservation Foundation and you'll find lots of those pages. Uh, if you have any questions from this, you can email me, you know, uh, at uh, Arthur at giraffeconservation.org. Happy to answer any questions relating to uh, giraffe conservation in East Africa. Uh, happy to answer those. Uh, and I'm also on Instagram, even though right now it's still a private page, but usually answer any questions there as well uh, on uh, Arthur Muneza. Thank you. Well, awesome. Thank you guys again so much. Uh, this was so, so much fun. Uh, and uh, yeah, good luck with everything in the future. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a pleasure chatting with, with both of you guys as well. It's, uh, it's really fun to reflect on these and, and converse and explore these ideas with, with other folks as well. And so thanks for this opportunity. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I want to say thank you again to Arthur and Michael and the Giraffe Conservation Foundation as a whole for taking the time to talk with us. The work they do to protect and conserve giraffes in Africa is amazing and truly inspiring. Please check out their website and social media pages to further interact with GCF and see how you can get involved. Hosts and producers for this episode are Austin and Taylor Parker. Producers are Kat Coots and Andrea Santi from the Smithsonian Institute's Earth Optimism Initiative. Music was provided by A Picture Book Studios. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our page if you haven't already. And thank you again for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time.